0: Welcome back to another episode of the Bills Beat podcast. Here, however, you are listening to us. My name is Joe Biscaglia, With me, as always, is Matthew Fairburn, and we are knee deep in draft prep. You know, the last time we talked to you was a couple of weeks ago. Our apologies. A uh, little thing called you be both making the tournament, and then you know the Sabers woeful finish into their. Uh, firing of their head coach. Yeah, that all happened all at once. Oh, and also UB changed a coach too. So uh, yeah, lots of stuff happened that uh, kind of made us push it aside a little bit. But here we are, nonetheless, um, talking with you about the draft and what the Bills might do at ninth overall. Now, the last time we talked, we discussed quite a bit about wide receivers, And a lot of conversation really about DK Metcalf above all else and whether or not he was actually worth it at at ninth overall. And I don't know, I guess the consensus that I came away with that maybe not, that he's not worth it at ninth and maybe there's more value in the later rounds. But today's podcast, I think it's a little bit uh, more apt to discuss a couple of areas that the Bills have deemed premium positions. And that being offensive tackle, and players that put pressure on the quarterback, which is at both defensive end and at three technique defensive tackles. So, really, Matthew, I think that's, if, if I had to guess today, I think that area is where we're going to see the Bills inevitably go if they stay at ninth overall, unless something crazy happens in the first eight picks.
1: Yeah, I think when you look at the history of what they've done in the first round in Carolina and what they've done, you know, with early picks here, you you do pick up on some positions that they, they value highly. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, when Brandon Bean joined us a few weeks ago and he talked about looking at the draft when you go into free agency and maybe not addressing positions in free agency that you think you'll be able to address in the draft And, you know, going about the offseason that way, I think, you know, from the beginning, this has been a draft with a ton of defensive line talent at the top. And so if you're sitting there with a top 10 pick, uh, that's the one area that the Bills haven't addressed, is the defensive line. They've obviously spent a ton of money on the offensive line. They added three new wide receivers, uh, four if you count Duke Williams, as many like to do. but. They haven't really addressed the defensive line much at all. And so I think if you're counting on Jordan Phillips, you're probably doing it wrong. And so they like to feature a heavy rotation up front. And that's why, you know, Ed Oliver is a name that people bring up a lot. Um, But the defensive ends, I think, are worth watching, too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they've brought in. What the top three offensive tackles, I think, in this draft for yeah, visits, as Dillard, well So Dillard
0: Taylor. And did they bring in Jonah? I can't remember. I don't know if they I know brought, they brought him in or not. They but, brought in Titus Howard, who is more of like a second or third round guy, but but and, still.
1: And Jonah Williams is a guy that they saw in person a lot. Brandon Bean was at that pro day, so I wouldn't be surprised. You know, guys like that, they don't necessarily feel the need to bring in uh, all the time, so yeah, sure. um, they've done their homework on these top guys too. So and they haven't shown a ton of public um, they haven't given a ton of public support to Deion Dawkins, uh, in terms of Brandon Bean said when he joined us a couple weeks ago, Deion Dawkins would be the left tackle if we played tomorrow, but we don't. And so
0: And that was also three weeks ago, so his mind could have changed since then probably. And that's not, but
1: well he n- you know, that's to say if they don't get one, you know. Um, sure. so I think they still have a need at long term offensive tackle and so in the trenches is probably the betting favorite for where this pick could go.
0: Yeah. I, I tend to agree there. And, and then it, it comes down to what they view to be most important. And in terms of how to address the ninth overall pick, and then also coupling that with, okay, well, where might the draft strength be in terms of the depth of it? And, uh, at uh, defensive end versus defensive tackle versus offensive tackle, and I think that issue in itself could lead its way to showing us the way that the Bills are might be leaning with that ninth overall pick. Because when you have uh, when you have the fortieth overall selection, it's it's very much a tweener pick in this draft. The, you know, I don't know about you. I run one of the draft network uh, mock draft simulators. I think once or twice a day, just to you know get a feel and and see what they could be looking at one day from the next. And uh, you know, w- once forty rolls around, it's such a, a tweener spot that all of the good edge guys are gone. Most of the good three technique defensive tackles are gone, but there's still an offensive tackle or two to be had. Now, that's not scientific to show that these are these are going to be. Uh, absolutely a locks, locked up sort of thing that offensive tackles will be there, but defensive linemen won't be there. But it just seems to be the way that things are lining up, at, at least in this point. But um, you also can't bet on some of those lower tier offensive linemen to be able to come in and, and help you right away, which I think that they, they might probably want out of out of this draft with an offensive lineman so it's a it's a tricky thing but that's why I I I have to lean defensive line that this year and I don't know that um you know Andre Dillard is really fun to watch and I think he's going to be a solid prospect if he's developed properly then then he could be your left tackle for a long time but Jawan Taylor I have questions because are you really drafting a right tackle at ninth overall um, for what the Bills are doing, and who, who possibly else could, could be in that mix? Jonah Williams, I don't really think he's he's the answer at left tackle. He might be more of an inside guy. So uh, that's why, to me, it, it comes down to defensive line, which is – and I would support a pick of Andre Diller, don't get me wrong, but I, just the way that they build – the roster and what they value, and the fact that they haven't, like you pointed out, they haven't invested heavily into the uh, the defensive line in terms of pass rushing talent. Uh, it just it just all leads me to one direction, and that being a defensive line somehow.
1: Yeah, I think there's part of it is just a numbers game. There's more defensive linemen that seem like they would be worth the number nine pick. I mean, you look at Ed Oliver is obviously a popular name because of um, you know the fact that he was once considered the top overall player in this draft. And uh, some might still think he's a top three to five guy in this draft. And his athletic profile is really impressive. And, you know, the production he had at Houston was pretty solid. He would fit right in at that three technique spot. Quinnen Williams, if somehow he were to fall or if the Bills traded up a couple of spots, might be the best player in this draft. I think Montez Sweat, um, you know, from Mississippi State, uh, that's a guy that Bean went to see in person at some point this season. He's really good off the edge. Again, another guy athletically. His profile projects to the NFL. Brian Burns is another one, I think, that will you know, cause some intrigue uh, with that pick. Those are four guys that you could say are legitimately worth it. That's not even bringing up Rashawn Gary. That's the one I who always wanted to get into. I don't think is their type. I know they're bringing him in for a pre-draft visit, but... You know, those can sometimes be to either throw up a smoke screen or to um, rule a guy out. Um, if you have questions about a guy and you want to bring him in, there are questions about his consistency. There are questions about his um, work ethic and, and and everything like that. Obviously, I don't know the guy, but right. um, those are the questions that people are asking. So, I mean, everybody listening to this knows Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott well enough to, to know that, those things might turn them off from a player. So still you're looking at four potential, you know, blue chip defensive line prospects either on the edge or interior that could be worth that pick and it feels like in some ways on the offensive tackle question you'd be talking yourself into some guys at number 9. And to me I I think Jonah Williams would be worth it. Uh, At nine? I really Really? do. And I think he would be their type of guy, too. I don't think he's a left tackle, though. I think he—he's the questions about him are legitimate because of his length um, and everything like that. But this is very much a regime that has— I know they have some thresholds they like to meet measurables-wise, but when you look at the quarterback they picked, when you look at um, a lot of the players that they picked and the way they talk about the players, they're looking for— football players, guys that love playing football, leaders, things like that. And the people who lean on the tape will really like Jonah Williams because he played a lot of really good football in the SEC. The people that wonder about projections and measurables and things like that will have legitimate and fair questions about Jonah Williams. I think he would be their type of guy. But the question I have about almost every offensive tackle and offensive lineman is, to your point, you know, where do these guys fit in? Right. Um, And where do they fit in this year? Because if you're looking for a left tackle, then you're pretty much open to trading Deion Dawkins, I would think. Or flipping him inside to guard, one or the other. But I don't – I think that gets talked about probably more than it happens. Um, And there, maybe it should happen more, but it doesn't strike me that they're necessarily – open to flipping him to the right side because if they were, Ty Nseke was better at left tackle than he was at right tackle, but they're talking like is a right tackle and and Dion's a left tackle. So a lot can change depending on who they bring in and um where that guy fits best. But to me it's it's a lot of guesswork in terms of figuring out where those guys fit in. Whereas yeah. there'd be no question where ed oliver fits in or where montez sweat fits in right and i think that's you know part of why defensive line makes a little bit more sense early and then you get to the second and third round you can still play best player available with offensive tackle tight end wide receiver um, corner mm-hmm. i mean running back whatever you want to do yep. so but you're not going to get the same value at defensive line as the draft gets later because those guys fly off the board it's it, it's a premium position, and I don't know that the Bills are at a stage in their rebuild where they can afford to take a non-premium position yeah. in the top 10.
0: Yeah, right now anyway. Um, I want to go back to Jonah Williams just because I think from a personality standpoint, he fits everything that that the Bills would want, right? I mean, he's he's a fiery guy. He's, he's a leader within the locker room. At least he comes across that way. He's, he's willing to try and buck public opinion uh, uh, or, you know, the whole length matter. He's taken that on, uh, like, like head-on in, in that regard. But I think for me it's less about his arm length and more about his play because I saw him way too many times be a little bit too out of control for my liking. And to me, I wonder if that aggression would be better used inside at guard and I know you you can find things you like and things you don't like about prospects, but that said, I mean, I want my left tackle, and this is just me. I want my left tackle to be to have the athletic feet, not lunge, you know, not look like they're out of control. And there's times that Jonah Williams looks out of control to me. and that's a legitimate question for me, which is why. I love those mauling type of guards. Like another one I love is Charlotte's Nate Davis, who played right tackle um, this past year. But I mean, he was just a—he just crushed people in the run game. But when it came to you know having to kick slide and and you know staying with guys, staying more with more athletic guys, he struggled. So that's why it, it looked like he would be a bit better on the inside when he's got a couple of guys next to him and he can just focus on. You know, ramping up and and crushing a guy's soul—that's I think what Jonah Williams would would benefit from to me. So, at ninth overall, if you want him to be your starting guard or I guess left tackle, I mean, if if you feel that strongly in
1: it, do it. But I don't know that I would feel that strongly in it. I, I he's he's not he's not my cup of tea. Yeah, I I like him. I, I think I like those guys that have that can play kind of anywhere, and I think. He can probably still play tackle. Left tackle might be a bit of a question. Um, Nate Davis is another guy I think, and this is where I, I I can see them drafting offensive linemen. But they spent a lot of money and resources on having a fallback option in case they don't need to, mm-hmm. and that's where um, you know, like a guy like Nate Davis on day two yeah, would make plenty 40, of sense. But oh yeah. You know, where does he play and and who goes by the wayside, um, you know, or are you going to really invest resources in the offensive line and take a long-term approach? And if you do that, that's fine. I think, you know, if you're trying to bring a guy like Nate Davis along slowly because he's going to be transitioning to a new position, or same goes for Jonah Williams, if you're thinking you can move him or you can move Deion Dawkins, that's all fine, but um, you know you wonder what the the big picture plan is, and if it's just look, we've got a quarterback that we want to protect, and we need to bring in as many guys as possible and let the cream rise to the top. Then all right, I don't think many people would argue with that, especially after the way the offensive line played last season. There's definitely some some question over whether that means you need to spend the number nine pick in addition to all the resources you spent in free agency. But in a league where not many teams have really good offensive lines and the teams that do tend to do really, really well. I mean, I think last year, the top, the final four teams in the NFL that were still alive in the playoffs had top six offensive lines, um, on football outsiders. Uh, and so, it's valuable to have. The question is, do you need, to your point, do you need to spend the number nine pick on Jonah Williams mm-hmm. when you could get Nate Davis on day two or you know one of the lesser offensive tackles? Maybe a Dalton Risner is available on, on day two. Um, and that's a guy who had every bit the season that Jonah Williams did um, and has all the positional flexibility as well. So it's a question of resources similar to the conversation with, with DK Metcalf more so than the player, because I do like Jonah Williams. I mean, he, I, I value a guy that had to do it against the best week in and week out, um, had to do it with a variety of quarterbacks who play different ways, um, and he was pretty rock solid in terms of not allowing a tremendous amount of pressure, uh, not allowing any sacks this season, but um, the skill set question is one that I think you know will be debated all across the league.
0: Yeah. And look, it, it comes down to value with me, with, with that player in particular. And he, if if we're talking, you know, 19th, 20th overall, I think I could probably get on board because, you know, it, it all depends on, on how you feel about the player. And to me, I, I would value him more as a guard. And I don't know that I'm taking a guard in the top 10 that isn't a, you know, bona fide, top player in the draft like Quentin Nelson was last year I mean we've seen teams get in trouble with taking guards in the top 10 uh, in years past based off projection and it it hasn't really worked out so uh, that's why if you're gonna go offensive line I want or at least I would want this to be the case it to be locked in left tackle you know either he's either going to play for you this year or you're going to develop him into your long-term option and that's where to me the only conversation that I, I I think is appropriate for the bills is Andre Dillard and with due respect to Juwan Taylor because I like him as a prospect but at right tackle are you are you spending that high of a resource on a right tackle that's that's part of it Dillard to me offers the upside he's got. All of the all of the uh, prototypical size elements you want. He's got he's got the footwork. I mean, th- this is someone that has a lot of tools that teams look for, and the Bills are a very toolsy bunch. I, toolsy is a great word that that I picked up on. I think the guys at Draft Network have used it, and I and I'm like, oh, that's that's a great way to put it. He is very much that, and so if they're to take a left tackle at Ninth overall, like I said, I could get on board with Dillard. However, is he going to make as big of an impact as one of the other house wreckers uh, on the other side of the ball? Whether it be Quinn and Williams, if by some minor miracle he's there at ninth overall, which it probably is not going to happen that way. Ed Oliver, um, Montez Sweat, who you brought up. And there's a few others in this equation that I think the Bills would give a legitimate competition or legitimate, uh, I guess, consideration to. So all of this is, is uh, just basically what they value most and what they value in terms of how to correct their roster and putting them in a spot to where they could even push for the playoffs this coming year, which is not totally out of the question.
1: Yeah, the defense has been the strength of the team, and building upon that um, is is not a bad idea at all. I I think I've found it really interesting. Robert Mays wrote recently about uh, an inefficiency that the Patriots have been exploiting, which is something that they tend to do. But I also think it's an inefficiency that the Bills have been exploiting in their own way uh in recent years or at least building towards exploiting and it's the patriots don't spend a lot of money on pass rushers. Mm-hmm. Um they don't spend a lot of premium resources on pass rushers. It's more of finding some value and you know they let um Chandler they traded away Chandler Jones um and you know they've let guys walk before they have to pay him big money Trey Flowers this year. Um, they find guys, uh, they find some values, whether it's drafting one in the first round and having them on a cheap contract, but the thought being you spend more money on the cornerbacks um, or, you know, look at all the money they gave Stefan Gilmore um, and the resources they've poured into that position. Thought being that quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball so quickly that it pays to have good cover guys, whereas, you know, sometimes your pass rushers can't get home uh, the same way they used to. It's an interesting thought, and it makes you think about a. You want you know Jerry Hughes's contract is coming up next year. Are you going to want to pay him more big money? Uh, same goes for Shaq Lawson, who I think is about as good as gone when his contract is up. Um, and I think you know the pressure from the interior gets there quicker. Um, and the, Sean McDermott saw that firsthand when he had KK Short in in Carolina. So. That's where that's what they're missing. That's what they've been missing as Kyle Williams kind of steadily declined and now that he's retired, they've been missing that that presence up front that they used to have when Marcel Darius and Kyle Williams were both sort of at their peak. And so that's where you're probably getting the most impact is an interior guy or if you if you want to go after an edge guy that you think can be a strong player for five years of a rookie deal Mm -hmm. on a good value, you're going to get some bang for your buck there. Um, I think it's part of why you didn't see them address it in free agency or through one of the trades that people were throwing out there, uh, whether it was Frank Clark or Jadevian Clowney or whoever it may be. The value at those positions is to get a guy and have him on his rookie deal, whether it's a first or second round pick. You're not typically finding a ton of value at those positions in the later rounds, whereas you might at offensive tackle or guard or tight end or name a position. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen a lot at defensive tackle and defensive end, particularly defensive end probably more so than defensive tackle. Um, But reason being is the athletic traits required to do that job at an extremely high level are coveted. And, you know, those guys fly off the board. So in terms of value, I, I do think, you know, that's where you're getting your bang for your buck as opposed to another offensive lineman that you're going to have to then answer questions about, you know, where the hell does this guy fit in? Because they've added so many pieces. Right.
0: I'd like to get into Rashawn Gary a little bit because he's someone that's kind of a, a compelling name as this draft process goes on. I mean, he is a classic case of being a tweener. I mean he's he's tall, long uh, and he's got pretty good weight to him. I think he's around 280 pounds but wasn't terribly efficient from the edge and however, he's still one of those here's the term again toolsy guys that uh, you you look to project. At the at the next level, about where you might be able to use him, and I wonder about him in terms of the Bills, just because he offers what could be perceived as versatility. Whether it be you line him up on the outside, and then you line him up on the inside, and he has the ability to drop back in coverage if if you need him to. Um, but where is he used best? Where is he? Uh, where is his bread and butter? And is he maybe? as they look forward into defense, which Sean McDermott is pretty good at doing, maybe he's like a new school type of three technique defensive tackle that you might bring in, uh, bring into the equation and, you know, have him be more of a pass rushing uh, specialist from the interior because he didn't win as much on the outside in college. But I I think he's at the very least worth a, a conversation in terms of the bills because, with needs at both three technique and on the edge. He is a name that I know fans aren't crazy about the idea, but I wouldn't
1: dismiss it one bit. Yeah, he's he's got a ton of talent, and the questions that he needs to answer, he I don't think you can rule him out, um, because like I said, I haven't met him, and once the Bills sit down and do meet him, whether they're convinced or not is sort of anybody's guess. I mean, ruling out guys that are, that just have a few question marks because of the way the bills talk about, you know, building their roster isn't always, you know, super wise because we've heard Brandon Bean talk about, you know, them being willing to take chances on guys. Um, It's more about, you know, their love of the game and whether they can be counted on from that standpoint. And, that's something where they're going to find out when has Rashawn Gary come in yet or is he still he's uh, he said to that count?
0: he had visits on the way with and the bills were a, bun, a one of like three or four teams
1: so whenever he comes in or if he already has then you know i that's when you're going to find out if you think you can develop that guy i mean let's not forget uh, you know they did bring in Kelvin Benjamin uh they have drafted you know guys in carolina that you know some you know some of the questions about Rashawn Gary are similar to the questions people had about Coney Ely coming out, and the Panthers drafted him. True, um, I think Gary's athletically uh, much more gifted than Coney Ely was, but um, you know some of these same question, questions about consistency. Wasn't Coney persist. also a second round pick too? He was, yeah. so um, so less risk there. Less risk, but who's to say Rashawn Gary won't slide a little bit? You know, it, it all depends on uh, how he interviews, and so. I'm not ruling him out at all because that's a guy that could fill a few different needs for you on the defensive line because he does have experience doing a lot of different things. He's great in run defense, which has been occasionally a sore spot for for the Bills over the last couple of years. And I think Sean McDermott is, you know, and, and Brandon Bean to some extent, but more so Sean McDermott is probably still pretty ticked off about how poor they were rushing the passer. And anybody that could provide a boost in in that respect will be considered regardless of um, what people may say about work ethic or anything else. Because the thing about Rashawn Gary also is that he was kind of miscast a lot by Michigan and probably not used to um, the best of of his skills. And so maybe the Bills think they can get more out of him than, than Michigan did. And, you know, it's a little bit of a risk, but isn't Ed Oliver a little bit of a risk uh, in yeah, terms of? Sure. You know, these guys that have real high ceilings, but also have some bust potential. So you're you're constantly taking risks in the draft, and uh, in terms of the athleticism, I mean, Rashawn Gary is almost the 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 Robert Kem uh, of this class without the um, kind of off-field uh, stuff. Sure. But a lot. DJ you know everybody makes a big deal out of that whole incident he had um, jumping off the balcony and whatever else but I believe
0: Laramie Tunsell was involved in that as well yeah right?
1: and you know that was obviously probably the biggest red flag with Kim DJ but there were also questions about his play-to-play consistency and things like that um, Rashid Hageman is probably another one that you could compare Gary to athletically they're similar what they can do for you on the line very similar they just they're a projection um, mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. And so those are the guys that you're um, you wonder about sometimes. And that's where, you know, people will, will rule them out because they don't think Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott will take that chance. I think it depends on who else is on the board, because if you're looking at Gary versus Ed Oliver or it's or, not even, it's not it's, even a it's question. It's not a, not a question no. or, even if it's Gary versus Montez sweat, I think yeah, not a You question. know, Montez sweat is a guy that, checks so many boxes athletically and, um, you know, in terms of football character that you probably lean towards the guy that I think Montez What's probably a better player too. So, yeah, I agree. um, it just depends, um, who's on the board. Uh, does Gary fall? Um, is he there at the top of the second round? We've seen that type of thing happen before. Yeah. Um, so that's the best part about the draft to me is that you look at so many mock drafts and so many rankings that you just kind of think this is this is how it is. But a lot of times NFL boards look a lot different. And there's a few guys that are misplaced um, every year and that, that end up falling. And not saying Gary will be that guy, but there's going to be a few guys available in the second round that have people saying, man, how's that guy available? Mm-hmm. He's top 10 according to or top 15, according to everybody I, I read. Well, you're not reading the boards that are in the rooms, and and that's where um, you know a lot of people. That's what makes a draft so exciting is nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. Most of the GMs don't know what the hell is going to happen, and so, half of them don't know what the hell they're doing. So it makes for <laughs> a pretty entertaining weekend.
0: Yeah, keep in mind Doug Whaley was a GM for yeah. quite some time here in Buffalo. Um, let's get into Ed Oliver because outside of Quinn and Williams, you know, if Quinn and Williams is like I said, by some minor miracle on the board at 9. You send the card in, you don't think about it, and and he's your guy because he checks off every single box that you have. He is a pass-rushing maven um, from, from the interior, and he's got the size, the length. He has everything that you want. He's, go- he's gone up against elite competition for uh, the entirety of his college career. So he's someone that... And he rides horses. And he rides... So he really does check
1: all the boxes. However, Ed Oliver stands on horses. You know who else used to ride horses? Uh, Coney Ely. Wow. Maybe... Look at you. Maybe they have a type. That's all (laughs) I'm saying. Maybe they like that about Coney Ely, and they'll like that about Ed Oliver. And if
0: if Quinn and Williams drops to, like, five, then I think they start fishing around to see what could it take to move up, and whether it be... Um, giving up their second-round pick or third-round pick, what have you. I think they would at least explore it. But I I kind of don't think that another team would take that offer if, if they have any sort of need for Quinn and Williams. And it seems like even if he does get past Oakland at four, Tampa Bay, who is looking to trade Gerald McCoy, uh, they're going to have a need for that interior uh, pass rusher. And same thing with the Giants. You, I mean, the Giants come from the same... School of thought as as the Bills do because of Gettleman and Bean kind of having uh, similar philosophies in terms of the defensive line and always looking to add so the Hog Mollies if you will the Hog Mollies of the world and and if he gets past that then I'm sure Jacksonville could work themselves into the idea and he's he's one of those guys that he might just be too good to not take but Ed Oliver has a real chance of being there at ninth overall and he's he's a question mark because just When you watch his stuff, you're like, oh my goodness, how does that guy move like that? And he's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have the prototypical length. And for the Bills to take him, they would be essentially saying, this guy is such an anomaly that all of the prototypes get thrown out the window because they're... Profile of what they look for, at least out of a three technique defensive tackle, is long armed around the 33 inch mark. I think Ed Oliver was 31 and three quarters or something like that. Um, The size, usually they look for at least 295. He's 280 and he was 287 at the combine, but then for his pro day when he actually worked out, he was 281. Um, But and does he have the required size to be effective in the run game from the interior at the NFL level that's that's another part to this as well however you want that that is quite honestly the only concern i have with the guy he looks like something out of a Sean McDermott dream because his ability to not only get up the field I don't know. I don't remember which game it was, but I remember one play where he split a triple team, <laughs> a triple team on a three man rush right in the interior to get back there and bring down the quarterback. He is an insane person. And then when you ha- also have the ability to drop him back into coverage because he's got some fluidity there. Rex Ryan would love that. Sharp sure. dropping his
1: defensive tackle yeah coverage
0: remember Marcel (laughs) Darius dropping back into coverage wow what how sloppy was that um but Oliver would not be sloppy in doing that and you could also guess what you could line him up on the edge if you really wanted to he is the classic chess piece that you can have him go anywhere on the board that you want to in checkers he is a kinged piece because he can go back forward wherever the heck you need him to go the only question is, can they get over the measurable part? And to be honest, I think they can. And that's why if he's on the board at nine with how much Sean McDermott values that, I mean, I I don't know if you were there at this part of it, uh, of his coach's breakfast at the owner's meetings, but I asked him about Kwon Short and how he kind of brought a different edge to the Carolina defensive line. And um, McDermott essentially said, went more theoretical with it. And it's like, you know, some people will make the argument that it's tougher to stop interior pressure than pressure off the edge, and I would be inclined to agree with that. And he also said getting pressure from the interior is critical. He doesn't have that guy right now. Ed Oliver is that guy, and if he's available at nine, I think, unless and Williams is on the board, I think he quite possibly could be the guy.
1: Yeah, they were Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott were both at his pro day, um, which might have just been a convenience thing. But
0: Sean McDermott was basically inside yeah, Ed Oliver's shirt Ed on Ed those Ol- videos. Yeah,
1: Sean McDermott was very interested. Ed Oliver's athletic profile. If you go to mockdraftable.com, you can punch in any player and you can compare them. I mean, athletically to guys going back at least as far back as two thousand. And the the matches for Ed Oliver, who is a defensive tackle. Charles Johnson, uh, the defensive end. Carolina. uh, Carolina guy. (laughs) Geno Atkins, who's one of the best defensive tackles in football. Olivier Vernon pops up, who's also one of the best defensive ends in football for a time. I mean, and this guy plays defensive tackle. So, uh, you know, the way that he moves at that position is pretty impressive. And I, I think that is something that is desperately lacking from almost every defensive lineman they have. I know a lot of people want to just slide Harrison Phillips into Kyle Williams' spot, but that's happen. never really been his forte. Not to say he can't do it. I think that's the value of Harrison Phillips is that he can be your rotational piece at both spots, but I don't think he's your linchpin at either one at this point. And so, to me... uh that's where 3 technique defensive tackle is really you know the the premier position that the bills should be looking at i think it's their biggest remaining need maybe outside of tight end um, and you know maybe running back but to me i think 3 technique defensive tackle is the biggest need because i just don't think you can count on jordan phillips I agree and harrison phillips as you know your main rotation guys i don't think you're going to get nearly enough uh, pass rush out of those two.
0: I think the difference between tight end, running back, defensive end, offensive tackle, in comparison to three-technique defensive tackle, you can get by at all of those other positions with what you have on the roster right now. Deion Dawkins, fine, whatever. He, he's at least serviceable. And, he hey, who knows? He might make a jump. And so there's an offensive tackle for you. Running back, you have Lashawn McCoy and Frank Gore, which isn't great for the long term, but... You can at least get by with that for, for 2019 because Gore can still play and they seem to believe that LaShawn McCoy can still play even though his results last year were kind of uh, not uh, indicative of that. Tight end, you can get by with Tyler Croft. I mean, the Bengals did it when Tyler Eifert went down. He ended up with 41 catches for a little under 500 yards. I mean, that you can you can deal with that. And what's the other one? Edge? Yeah. Jerry Hughes, Shaq Lawson, Trent Murphy, Eddie Yarbrough, you can can get by. You can't get by with only Jordan Phillips. You just can't. And I know he's going to be motivated because he only signed a one-year deal. I just don't see him as a starter at all. I think he is best maximized as a rotational piece to a defense coming in for the 18 to 25 snaps that he did a game last year. And that's where you're going to get your value out of him. Now... Who's to say that a guy like Ed Oliver would be ready to play right away? I mean, all, I guess, all the evidence that you see from him on film and his athletic scores and everything along those lines, it, it all it all lends itself to think that he can be an impact immediate starter for you. And he also has a tremendous upside at that three-technique spot. And if I just think about the pairing of him and, and Sean McDermott. I'm like... God, Oliver could be a star in this system. He could be the best player on the defensive line by the end of the year. And you can't say that about any other defensive line prospect in this draft outside of Bosa and Quinton
1: Williams, I think. And I think that's really saying something. Some more um, numbers for Ed Oliver's athletic profile. He ran the 40-yard dash in roughly the same time as Arian Foster. Um He ran it in 4.73 seconds, Foster 4.69. Um, he ran the shuttle run faster than Le'Veon Bell did. Uh, he's right around in the three-cone in the Jason Pierre-Paul territory, the vertical jump right in Von Miller territory. Did he
0: beat DK Metcalf in the
1: three-cone? In the, Well, because he didn't do it at the combine, so his three-cone drill was... Seven point one five. I gotta know
0: compared to DK because that was like,
1: DK was the guy. We're like, oh god, what happened there? Well, yeah, he. I think that was might be considerably faster than DK Metcalf did the three cone. DK Metcalf did not uh, do very well in the three cone drill. Let's see the best three cone drills at the combine. Now it's a little different, but I think the forty yard dashes are probably um, more of a. you know a question mark uh at your pro day than like a three cone Mm -hmm. personally um let's see there's some people that run really fast three cones um where's metcalf see you're at best right now (laughs) well i thought ed oliver might be one of the best oh true but since he didn't run it at the combine yeah but since he didn't run it at the combine let's see what metcalf did yeah 7.38 and so ed oliver was significantly faster in the three cone than dk metcalf um his broad jump was on par with JJ Watt and Amari Cooper, so he's kind of a freak. Yeah, and that he is, I think, the size. If that's a concern, well, then you wouldn't have drafted Aaron Donald, and you'd be one of the teams kicking yourself for not doing so. It's so.
0: it's the length because Donald had was over the thirty-two inch threshold, and I know it sounds silly because. Um, it, it shouldn't be decided by an inch. Just watch the guy play. And I agree with that. But this is also NFL teams who are very resistant to change and are very much a fan of their own systems that are in place and their own thresholds. And And so when a defensive tackle doesn't hit 32 inches, it usually ends up dropping them down the, down the order. I mean, the guy I can remember that this happened to most a few years ago, maybe 2013, 2014, I can't remember which, which draft. Sharif Floyd. Remember him? Everybody thought top 10, top 12. He ends up going, I think, like 23 to the Vikings. His, his arms? He wasn't very below... good. Either. No, he also wasn't good. But his arms are also below 32 inches. But he also had a lot of hype going into, the, going into the pre-draft process about him being a potential three-technique defensive tackle that can wreak some havoc in there. And it just didn't work for him. And he he ended up also sucking in Minnesota.
1: He also but, got hurt, and he also sued James Andrews for one hundred and eighty million dollars. That'll do. So yeah, that's that's what he's working on. Did he?
0: When did he get hurt? I don't remember. It wasn't before the draft. I know that.
1: Oh yeah. So he yeah he had arthroscopic surgery, so he didn't have like a major major deal. But I, yeah he he's a cautionary tale. I mean not every not everything's going to work out, um, and you but, know sometimes. Is it measurables? Is it injuries? I don't know, but but it know. just
0: it just leads to the point that the NFL is resistant to change and they have their beliefs and a lot of them like to stick to it, which is why I think it could benefit the bills because you have stodgy old guys out there like Dave Gettleman who probably believe firmly in this. And might that make him pass an Ed Oliver at six? I think there's a pretty good chance that he does or at least a relative chance. And so that's why it could work in their favor if they are willing to think outside the box more so than they have at a lot of the other additions that they've made to the roster.
1: Yeah, I think it would be pretty foolish if he's sitting there at nine. I mean, it all depends who else is out there, what Mm -hmm. offers you get for the pick. But um, if the defense is, uh, you know, his arm length or whatever else, I think it's, it's a tough sell when you watch a guy play football. I totally agree. He's he's awesome. It's not to say it'll for sure work out, um, but it's a guy that you're not, you're not upset about having that guy on your defensive line. If you're a defensive coordinator or a D-line coach, that's a guy that you can move around and, and he's going to create some problems for offenses wherever he lands, assuming that he stays healthy and, and everything else. But um very much I, I think a guy that will be on their radar they've done quite a bit of homework on him I can't remember if they saw him play in person uh during the season but I think they did um so again another guy that they've done all their homework on and he mm-hmm. checks a lot of their boxes mm-hmm. maybe his arms are uh not quite long enough but I'm yeah. sure I'm sure he'll live at that point, it's a whatever. Just just take the
0: guy and let him be really good for your yeah. team. Um, one other three technique that some people have brought up, Christian Wilkins out of Clemson. And I am, I don't want to speak for you, I'm completely out on the idea of drafting Christian Wilkins Wilkins that high in the draft. If they move down into the late teens, early 20s, sure, I would think about it, but... There is not enough, I guess, production for my liking, and and there's a lot of times where he just flat disappears, and I I don't really I mean he's he's known for his performance against Alabama in the national championship. That's that's the calling card. At any time we're like, well, he dominated that the Bama. I mean he he had a really good second half. I don't know that I would I would use the term dominate. There are a lot of the times that their right guard, I think his name was Leatherwood, he, he took it to him and completely took him out of the play. So I do see some some really good traits from Christian Wilkins, and he's, he's a personality fit for what, what the Bills are looking for in terms of adding to the locker room. Um, he's got the, all the, the prototypical measurements you want, but you just don't see the same type of ability. And I don't know that it's really that close between him and Ed Oliver. Uh, I, I I like Wilkins. I would like him more if we're talking about him in late first, early second.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's a top 10 type of guy.
0: Um, he just gets brought up by, by some the, fans out there. The but personality
1: definitely, you know, I think, you know, would be something that um, Sean McDermott would gravitate towards. I just don't. I'm with you. I don't think he stacks up to the other guys. Um it would almost feel, again, similar to the conversation we had about the offensive lineman, that you're kind of talking yourself into yeah. taking him. And, and if yeah. they're staying true to the idea that they're going to take the best player, I just have a hard time seeing him be being the best player at number mm-hmm. nine. I, I don't think that's even really a, a remote possibility. Um, I don't know. I know some people probably call him a top 10 player in this draft, but if you're staying at number nine, you're picking one of the ten best players in this draft, mm-hmm. and I just don't think he's one of them.
0: Yeah, I would. I would much rather have Andre Dillard over him. Um, and and I know that goes against what we've been saying in terms of taking the pass rushing and and getting more heat on the quarterback, being more of a priority at least for them right now. But you know, the player I think is better than what. The what Wilkins would be
1: at ninth overall. Dane bruegler has got him number seven. So I mean, it's it's on one defensive of those tackles number seven overall. Wow. on his big board. So oh. I mean, it's not unanimous that he's a, not a top ten player. I just think you know that there's probably um, there's probably going to be a better player on the board than Christian Wilkins. Yeah, I would be surprised if he fits the best player available motto that they preach so heavily.
0: The other two I would like to bring up from three technique defense tackles. They're not in the first round range, but Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi state who had that ugly video of him come out after he just committed to Mississippi state. Have you watched that?
1: I have not. It's um, not a great book. I have read about it. And he also tore his ACL. Yes. So. Which,
0: which drives his value down. Otherwise he probably would have been a first round pick. Um, and then Jerry Tillery from, from Notre Dame, who is a longer limbed guy and, Truth be told, I have not heard great things about him and his commitment to football. Um, And that leads me to be a little hesitant in pairing him with the Bills from this point forward. But you can't rule out anything because he's that prototypical guy. But let's get into Simmons because all the ability, prototype, can be your three technique. Um, But for this organization in particular that values... I guess not being a, a choir boy as they've said repeatedly but you know values being a good citizen and and being a good locker room leader and is what he did when it was a uh, what seemed to be a a fight in a neighborhood you know repeatedly punching at a woman is that going to be a non-starter for Terry and Kimpagula and, and the, the scope of their franchise.
1: Yeah, I feel like it, it probably should be, um, and it probably will be for a lot of teams. The conversation gets pretty interesting with him because it's not just that. He did, you know, blow out his knee as well. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, uh, and you so, have to wait for him. So now all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, two big red flags. Um, the fact that you're going to have to wait uh, to even get him on the field, and then... But then it creates an interesting conversation because now all of a sudden you're not spending a first round pick, maybe not even a second round pick on the guy. Um, you know, I think and, he'll be a second round. I do. You know, he's got a lot of talent, so that's where you know potentially there's some value, and then you know maybe there's not as much risk. You're still going to have to get up there and answer questions about the guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, not and to t- say that you can't do that, but um, they haven't. They haven't yeah. done that at all. They've taken chances on guys that have, you know, you know, Deion Dawkins had some, some issues uh, in college. You know, some guys have had um, minor off-field stuff, but in terms of domestic violence, they've not really um, dipped their toes in that water.
0: No, and I think to his credit, he was squeaky clean at Mississippi State from that point forward and hasn't done a thing since since that but you cannot rule out that because that is a complete lack of judgment and especially with one of uh, especially with a female owner I don't know that the bills would necessarily be looking to add uh, someone who has done something like that in the past now if they do then you know, I think the GM, the head coach, ownership should all be ready to answer questions about that in particular because, you know, it's it's very relevant with with this franchise, especially with how much they value sort of uh, the, these specific things, and so that's why I wonder if it's just a complete nonstarter.
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting case. I I wonder, you know, what the the fallout would be. I mean, only because it's not, like you said, a repeated pattern from him. Yeah. Um, but fact of the matter is, it will be the conversation that dominates your draft if you mm-hmm. pick him. 100%. Um, very similar to the Seahawks a few years ago when they picked Frank Clark. That became the every all the coverage about their draft centered around Frank Clark. And I think, you know... Frank Clark has become quite a good football player, but he's also a guy that I don't know that they completely trust uh, to, to be, you know, a good citizen off the field or to be a guy that he's just to do what Frank Clark did or to do what, um, you know, the Simmons did, you know, says something, a little something about you Mm -hmm. um, uh, in terms of how you deal with anger and things like that. So, you have to know that you're taking a chance on a guy that um, can you trust him, mm-hmm. uh, I think is the big thing. Can you, you know, put your head on the pillow at night in the offseason and and say nothing's going to go wrong there? And so, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting conversation that gets a little bit more complicated because he's also dealing with a major injury. Mm-hmm. And those two things alone might just say yeah let's turn our attention elsewhere because right. we'll let somebody else take on that headache and answer those questions because we're not even sure what this guy's going to be when he gets back from injury
0: yep and uh, that's why it, th- this is more fuel to the fire for me and why I'm thinking okay if you can get your hands on Ed Oliver at nine just just do it and then figure out the rest of your draft and but will he be there will they have to move up to get him you know we We've heard about, um, or we've talked about moving up to get Quinn and Williams. Might they be considering moving up to get Ed Oliver? Uh, I wouldn't rule that out either, just to secure him because he's such an important uh, type of player to them. And there's always, the later you get in the top 10, there's always more teams out there that are just looking to jump right up and and skip somebody to get an impact player like that. And uh, I wonder if maybe they have to do some things to secure His services, if he is indeed one of the top guys on the board, and and just as a a window into my soul, I have him graded on par with Quinn and Williams, and just because I think they're they're both impact players in this draft, and and if the Bills feel any bit as uh, similarly as I do, then then yeah, I think I think that's that's got to be their guy. Okay, edge defenders now because. You know we um, we've talked a lot about offensive tackles and the three technique, but Josh Allen, Nick Bosa, not going to be on the board. Montez Sweat maybe, and then I think Montez Sweat is kind of the pivot guy because if he's on the board, then you have the conversation. Okay, are, is this are this is this next group worth it? And that group includes Rashawn Gary that we've talked about, Brian Burns from Florida State. And Cleveland Farrell from Clemson. Three guys that, you know, deserve some consideration here. I don't... See, it's interesting because I think there's a chance that we could see Quinn and Williams, Oliver, and Montez Sweat all off the board before the Bills pick at nine. I honestly think that there there's a chance there, which leaves you in a little bit of a situation. Do you go with Dillard then at that situation? Or because the depth of the draft at edge rusher falls off pretty significantly after you get through the first 35 picks or so do you just take your your top edge defender there that that can offer you some uh, offer you some pass rush help whether it be Gary Burns or or Cleveland Farrell um i'd probably be inclined to think about one of well, one of the latter two, Burns or, or Farrell, if if that situation came to be
1: where those three guys that we talk about are off the board. Yeah, Jackai Polite is the other uh, name that could be in the mix. Um, in the first? could I mean, these are all guys that are, I think, in the first round conversation. Nine is probably a little high. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting pass rusher class in terms of some of the guys – you know, some of the most productive guys in the class aren't necessarily the uh, the most athletically gifted. Um, Jalen Ferguson, and, and, <laughs> but yeah, and I think he's a a really uh, interesting prospect um, in this draft too. If you wait a little bit, and so I like Montez Sweat quite a lot. I, I I do as well. I think in terms of just everything that they look for, he checks so many boxes, and he would be maybe a A slightly boring pick in some ways, but I also think he would be a a productive player for them for a long time, and uh, I think makes sense uh, where they're picking. Brian Burns is also interesting, the way that he's kind of burst onto the scene. Montez Sweat, I feel like, has been almost since this time last year considered one of the better edge players in this class, but Brian Burns has kind of worked his way into that conversation. To me, in terms of how they are as athletes; those are the two guys that that warrant top ten consideration. Um, would be an interesting conversation if Sweat and Ed Oliver are on the board, uh, because you know which position do you value more, which which guy has the higher grade? I think it it might vary team to team. Um, you mm. know who's the the higher graded based prospect, on scheme fit, too. Based on scheme, based on positional value, and whatever else, um, but. I think that's a guy that that makes a ton of sense for them. Montez Sweat, uh, that is, if he's sitting there at nine. But that's where the Bills are going to be sweating it out a little bit because, you know, they're probably rooting for all these quarterbacks to to fly off the board as early as possible. They're probably rooting for DK Metcalf to be off the board. Um, I don't think he's going to be. I don't know if they'd be totally bummed out if somebody took TJ Hawkinson off the board. You know, any anything that would push some of this defensive line talent right. into their lap um, would be welcome. Um, even Jonah Williams, uh, while I think he'll be very high on their board, um, if him going higher than nine means that, you know, a defensive lineman is available to them, even better. So um, going to be an interesting spot for Brandon Bean, but also from the standpoint that he's said uh, as far back as January, they're in the top 10, but they don't need to be. Um, and they could trade back and you know get themselves um, extra picks and you know find a guy that maybe maybe you take polite if you're you know sitting at twenty because you traded back whereas you didn't feel the fit was there at nine. So I don't know if he's a first round pick. A, I don't. It's an interesting you know conversation to be had of where guys go in front of them and you know what they do if you know the top four guys that we're talking about. Uh, are all gone. Yeah. I think one name that um, you you didn't
0: bring up there that I think deserves a little bit more consideration is Cleveland Farrell out of Clemson. I mean, he's got the athletic profile that, that the bills are looking for Um, speed off the edge. He's got the length. He's got, he's got the height and weight. He, he certainly shows an ability to have a plan as a pass rusher and to, and to do all of that, he's good at setting the edge. He's one of those guys that, you know, he's he's basically like a, I don't know, a a double to a legged out triple that you just overlook because you're like, ooh, shiny object over here. I, I think he could be in the equation here as well at nine overall. And, and I know that might strike some people as perhaps being a little high, but I wonder if they might value him over Brian Burns just based on the fact that Burns in today's NFL is going to find a home somewhere. But is he necessarily the guy that uh, that the Bills look to as their type of defensive end? Because usually they look for uh, tall, long, little bit of weight to him, ability to set the edge, some speed off the edge. And... You know Burns just he's he's not heavy. I mean he he weighed in at 249, and I think he probably had to work hard to get to 249. And I know this will fire up and fire up a name with Bills fans that uh, remember this like it happened yesterday. And this guy Burns is no nothing like this guy, but fans will immediately think of Aaron Mabin if if they were to take a Brian Burns. And that's that's not to say it should prevent the Bills from, from doing that. And it's also a completely different league and, and there's different values and, and things along those lines. But you know, if we're looking at prototypes and what the Bills value most at at pass rusher, uh, I could make an argument that Farrell is more of their guy than than Burns.
1: Chase Winovich is another guy that I don't I don't think at nine, but yeah. if they wait on a pass rusher That's a guy I think in the second, third round is an interesting name to watch. Mm -hmm. Again, you, you look at, um, it's a a battle of productivity versus traits sometimes. And he's in a uh, battle of
0: that with his teammate. (laughs) Right.
1: And, but he's a guy that I think, you know, against the run was super strong at Michigan and was pretty good against, pretty good as a pass rusher as well. Um, and, that's where the depth of the class comes in. Uh, Brandon Bean said at the owners' meetings, "If a position is deep, sometimes you don't feel the need to pull the trigger in the first round." And so, that's not to say that they'll ignore the the defensive line, but it does bring up an interesting conversation of: Can you get one of these guys in the second or third round? All right? Um, can you wait? Uh, can you can you trade back? Uh, if you do trade back, um, you know, are you able to? get more than one of these guys, potentially. And that may be be worth it to them. We haven't seen Brandon Bean trade down. Uh, I know a lot of people are interested in seeing him do that this year, Um, but we've seen him be aggressive the other way a couple times. And so uh, we saw Sean McDermott execute the trade down uh, the first year he was here. Will they be able to pull off something similar if – a quarterback that somebody likes is on the board, maybe. Um and if they do, I, I think that would I still think that would be the best move overall because all these guys we're talking about, um, maybe with the exception of the three, Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver, Montez Sweat, other than those three, I think you're you're kind of forcing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I still think Drew Locke is the one to watch because I, I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. Who picks him, I'm not sure, but I think that could be a, a a key for the Bills is if somebody wants to get ahead of the Broncos to get Drew Locke, then you know the Bills might be able to get a pretty good package in return. Mm-hmm. And I think they would jump all over that if they could, or they should jump all over it because— As many picks as they have, they only have three in the first three rounds. And so many of these guys we've talked about today, so many of the guys we talked about on the wide receiver podcast, the tight ends, there is a lot of talent that's going to be available on day two. It's not to say you want to get completely out of the first round. Um, I know getting a guy in the top 10 is valuable because those guys are your blue chippers. But getting four or five guys between... 20 and a hundred is probably more valuable for this team with all the holes they still have with the depth issues. They still have uh, some of the offensive linemen we talked about that could be available on day two. I mean, having more bites at the apple is always a good thing. And so quarterback is, is going to be everything. I don't think this is a quarterback draft where five of them are going to go in the first again, but If Kyler Murray goes one, that's to me a best case scenario for the Bills because then it just creates a lot of questions. You know, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, are those guys all top 10 picks? Probably not. I think all
0: four are first rounders, though. But I
1: think there's a chance all four go in the first round. Mm -hmm. And I think there's going to be, there are teams in love with Drew Locke. And I would be shocked if he. Falls out of the top ten, which means nine is a really good spot to get to if you want him. He might sure. already be gone, but nine is a really good spot to get to if you want him, and that has to factor into this whole conversation for the Bills because, regardless of how much you fall in love with the guy you scouted, um, you know, I think trading back and getting more picks um, in in a draft like this one in particular is is not a bad move. Here's a conceptual question, which. It's going to make you go,
0: yeah, I don't know. If you're the Bills, sitting there at ninth overall, Ed Oliver is on the board. Drew Locke is on the board. You get an offer from the Chargers that gives you next year's first. Do you give up on Ed Oliver to do it?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I do that every time. I, I Getting an extra first-round pick, and look, a lot of this will depend on, it's funny, the I've seen a, a similar conversation um, start to happen with the Sabres that followed the Bills around for a long time. And it's a, a question about patience in some ways, but you look around the league and there's not a lot of general managers that feel comfortable enough in their, you know, their job security mm-hmm. to make moves that are best for the long term. And I think Brandon Bean is in that spot. A lot of the conversation, the reason I brought up the Sabers is uh, not to get off on a tangent, but you know they they get the number seven pick, and you know the conversation quickly becomes, well, they should trade that for a player that can help right now because enough is enough. It's been eight years without the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they need to get some guys that can come in here and help right away. That was a conversation with the Bills forever of, you know. Get this thing fixed. You know you're on this long playoff drought, get to the playoffs and find a way to do that where that can hurt you more than anything. Uh, having that attitude of, mm-hmm. you know, it's not to say that the Sabres, you know, wouldn't shouldn't consider trading the pick for a good player if, if the option presents itself. But to do it just because you need to win next year isn't the right way to do True. it. And it's not the right way to think about any anything when it comes to the draft. And I think the bills are in a spot where they could comfortably say, all right, Ed Oliver is a really good player, but having two first next year in a draft with a lot of quarterback talent, this is where you have to have the big picture in mind always. Mm -hmm. And I think Brandon Bean does. Whereas I think previous regimes didn't looking at the future drafts. If you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. And so you look at a draft where teams could be desperate to come up and get a quarterback, look at what happened. Almost all of the, the quarterbacks that have been drafted in recent years, teams have had to trade up to get them, you know? And I think when you look at it from that standpoint, you say, man, it'd be nice to be one of those teams that gets all the picks for once mm-hmm. and not have to give them up. And uh, I think that's where, Hey, if you, you could potentially, you know, do it twice, uh, next year. If a team trades up, you know, you brought up the Chargers, but who knows who it could be? If they trade up and they throw Drew Locke in early and he's not quite ready because he's probably not quite ready, mm-hmm. that could be a high pick. Right. And then you're sitting there with a couple of, you know, with some leverage. So I don't know. I, I think having uh, more picks would be a good thing. I, I think maybe Quinn and Williams or Ed Oliver give you some pause, but I think having a future first is, is, Gold.
0: Let me amend that question because Future First is probably the would do it for me as well. However, let's say it's Minnesota at eighteen, or they move up for an offensive tackle or something like that. But Ed Oliver's on the board, and you only get a second round this year, and maybe like a a day three pick. Do you do it?
1: I think you still consider it. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I do it in that instance. I don't I, I For think the player that's, and a, Oliver. that's a bit of a light return. Um, but getting to eighteen you could still get a pretty good player. It would it would depend how the board looks, and Ed Oliver sitting there would be hard to pass up, yeah. I think. Um I think you'd probably want multiple day two picks to get it done. Maybe just one second round pick doesn't get it done. Maybe a second and a third does get it done. All these things are where you got to look at the trade value chart, look at where you have Ed Oliver. If he's your number six prospect, then you value him as the number six pick. I think you make decisions, you try to make decisions as rationally as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't just fall in love with the idea of one guy. But if the value says, all right, we have Ed Oliver as the fifth best player, so we value, you know, give him the number value that you would give the fifth pick. And You know, somebody's trying to get up for a value that doesn't match, then you say, no, you have to, you don't just do it to do it. Um, And that's where you have to be prepared. I I think preparation in the draft is so critical because so much happens so fast. And it's months and months of work for split decisions like that. And you can't be making those with your gut. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. sit, you, you have to have a system in place. And, it all. I think if Ed Oliver is a top three prospect on your board, you just sit there it, and take. You them. sit there and take yeah. them because unless it would have to be a hell of a return to make that trade, mm-hmm. and so that's all based on stuff that I know these guys are doing. Um, whereas maybe not everybody is, um, but those are you just can't make those decisions. Um, you can't take them lightly, and you can't make them with your gut. You have to have some sort of system to allow you to do that because it's complicated you know where do you draw the line if a, they throw in a second third round pick or uh, a fourth round pick does that you know sway you a little bit it's tough and at that point you might be just overthinking it exactly. and, and just take the player right and that's why i think you need that second big time asset yeah. um, that's why a future first i think gets it done every time mm-hmm. uh, because even if it's the Chargers or uh, you know a team like that, you still feel pretty good about having a second pick in the first round um, because it just it affords you so much flexibility.
0: All right, um, just wanted to get into a couple of questions that you guys sent in um, before we bid you adieu. Uh, let's see. This comes from Evan, who writes: If the Bills go. Defensive line and offensive line between the first two rounds. Do any of the round three to six wide receiver, tight end, or running back prospects have the ability to make a legitimate impact on the offense this year? I think tight end, certainly. Um, you look at, for me, uh, Jay Sternberger out of Texas A&M is someone that that could do it. I like him more than I do Dawson Knox from, from Ole Miss, if I'm being honest. Um, Josh Oliver from San Jose State's another one. Uh, Kahale Waring from San Diego state is, is somebody as well. I have to go back and get my tight end rankings, but, um, but yeah, those are three guys that, that stand out at least from the tight end position that, uh, that make you go, okay, well there, there might be some value here, which is why it could be in the bill's interest to pass on a TJ Hawkinson. Um, yeah, those are the, those are the three guys. And then you get more into, more into blocking guys uh, as you kind of go down the list here, but but yeah, uh, I, I think there's some talent there and wide receiver certainly. I mean th- there, are, it it all depends. I'm a little hesitant on wide receiver if I'm honest though, because they just have so many mouths to feed right now. Where does a rookie wide receiver fit into all of it? I mean, are you just pushing Robert Foster completely to the back burner? Are you pushing Zay Jones to that? You know they're going to give time on the field to John Brown and Cole Beasley because they just signed both of those guys. And even if you can get out from their deals after a year, you're still finding out in 2019 if they're going to be a part of your uh, short-term to long-term future. But where does where a does wide receiver fill-in-the-blank fit on things? Is he going to be able to make an impact? for for this team same thing same goes with running back I mean if you take a running
1: back it's similar to the offensive line conversation yeah exactly trying to find a spot to fit a guy in can get pretty complicated I do think there are players that could make an impact whether it's this year or down the road yeah it's just a matter of a path to playing time that isn't necessarily there um, particularly at wide receiver I think a running back could and should make an impact right away. I think
0: it's a weird class for them though.
1: It's a weird the value it's is not, in the fourth round. Yeah, I think. it's not really a good class. I do think situationally with where the Bills are at, they should be very open to having a, a rookie running back on the field quite often. Um and this is, you know, a point we've driven home quite a bit. I, I just don't think LaShawn McCoy um can be counted on. Um, If he has a major bounce back year, I think it'll be a pleasant surprise. I think he still has some juice left in him. But if you're relying on him at that age with the way injuries happen, same goes for Frank Mm Gore, probably even more so, it just doesn't hurt to keep him fresh um, and have a third guy in the rotation that you can count on.
0: You're out on Sonoris Perry and Christian Wood? Um, (laughs) I'm
1: just kidding. Yeah, well, the rugby guy is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's super yeah. interesting, right? Because he's pretty badass. He's rugby. a
0: if if you guys don't know like the exact details of it, the AFC East won the lottery or whatever, and so he is on the Bills roster as the ninety first person. They can still fill all the way to ninety, and then if they cut him, if he gets through waivers, um, they can add him back to their practice squad as. Guilt-free, like as an eleventh practice squad member, which is a pretty cool thing to have. Um, but, but yeah, it's he's he's a, a compelling case. How old is he? I didn't even twenty-seven. Think. He's
1: tw- so okay. well, that's, he's not yeah. young, but are rugby miles the same as football miles? Are they more taxing? I There's less pads. There there are yeah, not as much padding, but yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. Again, not an, uh, another guy you're not relying on more than likely, but you know, a Miles Sanders, um, if he's there staring you in the face on day three, isn't a bad option. I mean, you can find those guys later, more so the path to playing time makes sense at running back and it makes sense at tight end as well because, um, they don't have much outside of Tyler Croft and Brian Dable has used two tight end sets before. Um, I think, a lot of the best offenses in the league have found a way to use two tight ends. So I like Irv Smith a lot. I know that that's a probably a second round pick. So, you know, it's a little bit of a different conversation. Um, Dax Raymond, as you get it a little bit later, is is not a bad option. Caden Smith from Stanford um, was really, really productive uh, for them. Uh, I, I like him a bit. Isaac Nada from Georgia is another one. It's a really deep class, which is why I think in the 3rd round you could have uh, you know, 3rd, 4th round, you could find some guys that are worthwhile. Um you brought up Josh is another one. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of these guys that that could make an impact in the 3rd to 4th, 5th round range.
0: I I wouldn't rule out the Bills taking two tight ends in this draft. Um, One of the receiving variety, the other of the blocking variety. Like A guy like Foster Moreau out of LSU makes sense to me for them. He's kind of a more blocking, friendly, all-around guy. Trevon Wesco out of West Virginia, he's so much fun to watch blocking. He just crushes people. Um, And if you could get him in the fifth or sixth round, then, then he's someone that could make your roster, which is for a fifth or sixth round pick, that's really good. Um, so they, they will have some uh, have some options late. That's why this, this class is, you know, it shows some depth to it. And and while TJ Hawkinson would be great because he's everything in one. I love Hawkinson, by the way. I think he's an awesome prospect. Um, less so on Fant. Not as high on Fant. But, um, you know, to me, is that a bit too early? Or is he even on the board at all at 9 for you? That's, those are considerations as well. And is it where where you value the draft and where you think the depth of the draft is. Can you get someone who is able to contribute to your roster like an Oliver um, uh, later in the third, fourth, fifth round? So uh, all, all all those things you have to consider. All right, let's get into one more question before we, um, before we say goodbye. Uh, Bruce Exclusive writes, I want both your opinions on whether or not the investment in the offensive line is enough to stave off offensive line at nine. Do you think the Bills perceive three technique tight end and edge needs as higher now? Um I think probably. And we, we talked a bit about that in that. Um I think there's I think three technique to me tops the list. Edge rusher probably second to that. Um and you know, if you can find a left tackle though, like if if Dillard is your cup of tea, then by all means go for it because he could come in, he could supplant Deion Dawkins at left tackle, and then you figure out a, a secondary plan for Deion Dawkins or try to trade him for something while he still has value. Um, so I would probably say the defensive line guy is ahead of offensive line. And you know, I can't rule out tight end. I mean, tight end's a, a good spot if if they like Hawkinson enough.
1: Yeah, they need a tight end pretty badly. Um, but I, I think three-technique defensive tackle is their biggest need. Um, the only position we haven't talked about, and I think it's pretty safe to rule it out in the first round, is cornerback. hmm But I never say never with Sean McDermott because he does yeah. love his corners. But he's also been good at developing those guys, so... Yeah. You can't you can't have enough cornerbacks, and you can't have enough talent on the defensive line. And uh,
0: and speaking of thresholds, by the way, I went through and found every thirty two inch and up arm cornerback in there because that's kind of a precursor for Sean McDermott and his zone scheme. Um, you can find depth guys like that, like uh, DeAndre Baker is probably a first rounder, but Justin Lane, Yacin, uh Joanne Williams, who they I believe had in for a visit, Lonnie Johnson, Savion Smith. Savion Smith's arms are like 33-inch long, I think. Um, Mike Jackson. I mean, th- these are guys that you can find later on in the draft. So uh, Yassin
1: is a wrestler, too. Oh, boy. Did you know that? Here we go. So, if, if he's on the board at 40, look out. So watch out for him. I think that's probably a day to need. I, I just think, like we talked about, defensive tackle is at the top of the list. I mm-hmm. think it was close to the top of the list entering the offseason, and they haven't really touched it. So um, I think— that's where the value is, and I think that's their biggest need. And so it matches up pretty well, potentially, if things break the right way. Okay, so uh,
0: we, we did a little bit of a longer episode because we kept you waiting a little bit, but uh, I feel like we covered a lot of ground today. A lot of defensive line prospects, tight ends, offensive line. It's all good. So um, when we speak next week, we'll uh, start to really get into how this first round can can be shaped Um, by that point, we'll have seen the bills in person, um, because they get back for voluntary offseason workouts on Monday, hearing from Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, all that good stuff. Uh, but, but yeah, there's, there's going to be some to chew on and I'm sure the, uh, the pre-draft press conference won't be too long after that. And that's always a fun day in itself as well. So, um, a lot to stuff to get to still, but, um, you know maybe we'll get into more of like the depth guys in the draft as we kind of go too because that's always fun to talk about the wide receivers which are which are fun um outside of you know first round consideration all right so for uh matthew fairburn of the athletic my name is joe biscaglia thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the bills beat and we will talk to you next week see you then